Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? Step up like a boss and save the day? Or see what life's like under the tree of life? Did you? If you could. Would you? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play. Bring the magic at Walt Disney World Resort. All right, y'all, it's spring, and you know what that means. It's time to start planning our summer festival traveling. Yep, it's time to get into my Airbnb bag cross-country, a.k.a. uh, time to visit my homes all across the country. And you know what I never think about? Why not list my own spot on Airbnb and host some folks at my house? I mean, my house is cute. Yes, let's make money while we're spending money. Just trying to help you out, man, because your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Questlove Supreme is a production of iHeartRadio. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of Questlove Supreme. I'm your host, Questlove. With me is Laia, quarantined from the West Coast. Hello. Hello. Hey, everybody. I miss you and hug you. Sugar Steve from uh, the top of his building in Manhattan. Petri Dish Central. <laughs> Where are you at, uh, unpaid bill? Westchester. We're neighbors. Okay. Uh, uh, so I can visit? Yeah. Come on over. <laughs> hang out with Frick and Frack. It's a whole thing. I don't approve of that. Montigolo, mm-hmm. where, where are you broadcasting from now, bro? Uh, from the crib, uh, Raleigh, North Carolina. Okay. Keeping it real. Ladies and gentlemen, this, this episode has been long, long overdue. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's a rarity that anyone in hip hop culture, um, can have sustainability and change with the times and still stay themselves, uh, in, in this culture without hitting a landmine. And our guest today, uh, is, is, I mean, I call him Teflon Joe. I mean, yo. Yo, me and my buddies have a saying, if an, uh, if a nuclear bomb went off, the last two rappers standing would be Fat Joe and Busta Rhymes. <laughs> <laughs> Straight up. <laughs> Straight up. Y'all brothers didn't survive everything, man. Ladies and gentlemen, yeah, let's let's welcome uh, the one and only, uh, the, the, the God, Fat Don Joe. Don Cartagena. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Don Cartagena. Thank you. To Questlove Supreme. Thank you so much. How, how you that. making out? Uh, how you making out in this current uh, environment, sir? Me, I'm just you know I'm happy to be home, man. I'm I'm happy to be home, man. I've been uh, I've been on the road for 25 years, man, and the fact that I'm able to be with the family and spend time at home with my daughter, my wife, and everybody, man, I'm I'm actually enjoying it. To be honest with you. Where where is home currently? You're you're Jersey resident right now, correct? No, 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 no. I live in Miami. I've oh. been in Miami for like 17 years. I've always known you as <laughs> I'm sorry. Um I've always known you as a uh a Jersey resident. I didn't know that you moved to Miami. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I lived in the Bronx my whole life and then I moved to Jersey. Uh my wife forced me to move to Jersey cuz I didn't want to leave the Bronx. And she was like, if you don't move, I'm leaving you. So I had to go to Jersey, which was the smartest thing I ever did in my life. So when I went to Jersey, I finally heard <laughs> birds chirping and little kids playing in the street. And then um, eventually at one time I got so frustrated with like the New York hip hop scene that I moved down to Miami. And that's when, you know, that's around the time I met DJ Khaled before he was, you know, when he was just an uh, underground DJ and Cool and Dre. And just the love down here, the camaraderie and the love was just so much different from what was going on in New York. So I had came down here for a fresh start and uh, been down here ever since. Okay. Around what time was that when you, uh, when you went to Miami? 
man, that's like 17 years ago. You know, I always said, you know, uh, one day, you know, when I started, I started out digging in the crates. And if you go to them early videos, if, if, if you would go engine, engine, number nine, on that USI, I'm one of the guys jumping in the background. Oh, and word? I was in everybody's video. <laughs> yes. I was in everybody's video. Everybody was in my video. We worked with each other. We didn't look at each other as competition. It was all love when I came up. And then once money came into play, everybody started having their own click and everybody thought they was bigger than the other one. And then that's how New York got separated. And then one day I was in my home in New Jersey and I, I was fed up with it already. But I was listening to the radio and uh, I, I heard uh, Cameron say he'll smack the kufi off of Nas's head. And I, that's when I told my I wife, that. pack up the vans, we out. We out of here. We can't be over here like this. This, 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 I don't know what's going on with New York hip hop. Then we came down here and we started uh, the Miami movement, like with the DJ Khaled, with the uh, Pitbull, the Rick Ross, the Cool and Dre. You know, cool we set Dre. it off down here and, and made that camaraderie. And then when uh, Lil Wayne, when, when Katrina happened, he came down to Miami, him and Birdman, we embraced them. And that's, when you get all those records, we was doing like taking over brown make paper rain, bag. Make or, yeah, make so in, rain. in in the in the Bronx, um, how would you describe your childhood for those that don't know your history in the Bronx? Well, you from Philly, yeah, right. Mm -hmm. But there's there's different parts of Philly. Mm -hmm. There's North Philly, South Philly, Allegheny, Germantown. This, this, that. Mm -hmm. So what I'm trying to make reference to that is, oh, he's from North Carolina, this Fayetteville, this Greensboro, this Charlotte, this. Absolutely. I'm from the Bronx yeah. in the part where hip hop was created. Right. So what I'm trying to tell you is there's many parts of the Bronx. So me as a little kid, I was watching Melly Mel and Grandmaster Flash play pickup games of basketball against Little Ikey C, Little Rodney C. Uh, you know, I grew up in like literally. So if you look at so privileged, so Ruby D, who was the first Latino MC, mm -hmm. he used to have a softball team. These guys never lost. I used to watch them play softball. I used to go to every jam. My 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 brother, uh, my brother was the way I fell in love with hip hop. My brother used to go to all the jams and bring me back the cassette tapes from all the Zulu Nation anniversaries or Cool Herc or whatever. And I used to listen to it so much, I thought I was actually in there. Mm -hmm. Like, they'd be like, back up from the ropes, back up from the ropes. Then they playing, Mary, marriage, why you bugging, on, yeah. that funk is on. Right. Uh, and then they come back with, I don't know if you've been told, but Santa Claus is a black man. A black man. I'm, like, I'm, I'm, I'm like, I'm in my room listening to these cassette tapes like, oh my fucking God. And, and, and just because I was too small to go. And then when they did it outside, I would go to outside. So I was privileged to be born in the soil. Like, I, you know, I, just no other way to explain it to you. Like, I was blessed as a hip hop fan. Mm -hmm. As a hip hop fan. Not just as a rapper or whatever. Wow. So, as as far as like it it calling you, I mean, were you rapping early as a kid, or you just like, I'm a fan? But at what point is I wanted to be like? At what point is it like? Okay, I, I want to get involved in the culture. It's different. It was uh, I was in. I was the culture. That's what I'm trying to tell you. I break dance. I wrote graffiti. Terror Squad is a graffiti crew. Okay, it started out off graffiti. Terror Squad. Uh, so where were you tagging dance, up at? Uh, all over the Bronx, on the walls, on the train. When I got older, I would break out my house. I'm talking too much in front of my daughter right now, but I would break out my house <laughs> when my parents would sleep, go hit the trains, then and dangerous shit, like cops chasing us under the third rail, under like crazy shit. Come back to my house. My sister would open the door like five in the morning, like, damn, man, like you might. And then, you know, when I wake up, you know, it's time for school, but writing graffiti, uh, but rapping, I wanted to be like my brother. My brother was, you know, he used to rap, and I wanted to be like my brother, 
And so I started to rap. So I was writing maybe uh, nine, ten years old, eight, nine, ten years old in my mother's uh, table where everybody was like, what type of, sh what am I doing? And I'm like, you know, I want to rap. What, and, uh, what was your I MC name back nine, then? Nine, ten years old. Oh, my name, my, 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 my first name was uh, Lil Pop. Okay. Lil Pop. And, uh, and uh, we were saying shit like Joey Rockwell and all that. And I had a little, little fake rhymes like sneakers are cheap. You know, something you could fill every rock. You could like, like I was just, you know, learning the game. But, you know, uh, yeah. Yeah, it was real. So as far as like, in in the area that you grew up, were there any other notable hip hop luminaries that we would know of today? Like, were you no everybody growing up with Lord you know Finesse as an eleven year old, or like yeah, yes, yes. So what happened was, so as I told you, it was a hip hop whippy whip wop Starsky. All them live in my block, right? Uh, but when the guy who inspired me to rap was Lord Finesse. So I was already in the streets, hustling, doing all type of shit, you know, being, you know, a product of my environment right. in the worst way. Mm -hmm. And Finesse, he, he used to sell us papers. So back in the days, they would bring the newspaper. So Finesse would buy the newspaper at the store for a quarter, but he would sell it in the building for a dollar. He was an entrepreneur. So he would walk up and down the project building going, paper. And then my moms would give me a dollar. <laughs> I go see finesse. He make not his real shit. And then he would make seventy five cents, and then give it back. But finesse would always tell me like, "Yo, Joey, I'm gonna be a rapper. I'm gonna get on." And I'd be like, "Yeah, right." I locked the door. I'm like, "Man, he's so full of shit." And uh, <laughs> and one day, one day I'm just listening to the radio, Red Alert. And he's just playing the funky technician. He's playing all of Finesse and I'm like, no way, Finesse made it. And that gave me, uh, sometimes you gotta see it. So that gave me the proof that we can actually make it out of the hood and actually become professional artists. And uh, that's mm -hmm. when I started, you know, uh, really believing we could do something. And then also Diamond D, Diamond D used to write graffiti with me. And he would tell me all the time, yo, Joe, you're going to go to jail. You're going to get killed. You out here doing crazy shit. Y'all like, bro, why don't you put all the shit you do in the streets into your music? And actually, even though I had money at the time, actually crazy money, he took me to the studio and paid for the session, Diamond, to like, you know, get me off the streets. Wow. And uh, so we went in there and we, and we made the demos. And then, uh, and one of them was Flojo, my first single. So I went, am I talking too long? No, no, no. this never. Nah, no, we this weren't. is perfect, this is perfect. <laughs> okay, so we went, we made like three demos in that first session, one of them was Flojo. Right. So I had went, I wanted to earn, even though I grew up with Showbiz and AG, I grew up with Diamond, they were already on, they were already on. I wanted to earn my spot. So I went to Amateur Night at the Apollo and I performed that Amateur Night and I won it four weeks in a row. Word? And wow. to tell you oh, the truth. Wait, I got a question. Yeah, yeah. That's how I got on. I got a question because we rarely have actual Apollo uh, Amateur Night contestants on the show. People people who survived the Apollo. How is the true, <laughs> what is the true way to rig the system so that you win Amateur night, the Apollo. Is it the people you bring with you, or like? I can't tell you, Rick. I I had some people in there, but it's the Apollo was like a stadium compared to the people. I might have brought twenty people came to see Fat Joe, but it's it's two thousand, three thousand seats. But I'm gonna tell you something. <laughs> yeah. And this is where this is where no one can ask me if there's a God. You understand what I'm saying? Because as I went back. Recently, maybe maybe a year ago, I really thought about that Apollo. Like I said, all right, you went in Apollo. What do you do? So I went in there. It was 150 groups. And I remember looking at everybody saying, they don't have a chance. I don't know what they're doing here. I'm going to take this shit. Now, what's crazy is, 
if you want to talk about the elephant in the room, I was the only Latino in Black Harlem with 150 <laughs> black roots. Talk so about now, that. No, and then, so when I think about it, how it went down, I just went out there. I had two girls, three girls from my projects, uh, Michelle and Barbara and, and Nisi, and they came out with me. And they, they were standing behind me doing some fly shit, and I was walking through rapping. But uh, the people just went crazy. They couldn't hear a bar or nothing. They just, they fucking went crazy. And every time I came out, <laughs> they just went crazy. And it wasn't because of my lyrics. It wasn't because of, it's just, they just went crazy. I don't, and I say that was God in the room. He said, this is how you're going to do it. So I won four weeks. I met Red Alert. Red Alert was the biggest DJ in the planet Earth. Mm -hmm. It was only two DJs at the time that were considered mainstream. It's Red Alert and Mr. Magic. Mr. Magic. Yup, Mr. Magic, rest in peace. So Red Alert said, yo, do you have a demo? Can you give me a demo? So I gave him Flojo. About a month later, I had the flu. I was in the projects laying down, and the shit came on. And I jumped to the ceiling how high I jumped from the flu. I put the speaker on the window in the projects and told everybody, yo, Red Alert playing my shit. He playing everybody going crazy in front of the building. And then he kept playing that for like close to like eight months every week. And then uh, Chris Lighty, rest in peace, came to the hood where I hustled, my block, where I hustled. Right. And told me, yo, you Fat Joe? I was like, yeah. I was like, yeah. I was like, he said, you know who I am? I said, yeah, you baby Chris. And he was like, yo, I want to sign you on a record deal. Like, I think you could be a superstar. And I signed in the middle of the street. And the rest was history. You signed instantly to Relativity? <laughs> yeah, I don't have no lawyer. No, I, was a, I was a drug dealer. Uh, what do you want me to do, Quest? No, no, no. I was just like, wow. That, that, I ain't got no interest. In that was speedy. <laughs> so wait, that, that, trust, and that answers my second question. So that's definitely you... <laughs> Saying fuck you talking about on uh on Diamond D's uh I am in every ad lib on that album. That's my claim to fame. <laughs> it's my fucking claim to fame. <laughs> fuck you talking about yo, yo chill. Right. Yo, that's that, that shit. That is my fit, yo. Yo, that's that shit. I'm in oh, that's you. You're you're the ad lib guy all over. Yo, that's that every shit. Every ad lib. Yeah, <laughs> I am the ad lib in every song. I dare you to ask Diamond. I am. That's my claim to fame. Wait, I was there for that whole album, the whole process. Slight, slight confession. Like there was a point in my life where, you know, there wasn't enough bass in my voice to be to be cursing and really intimidating people. So <laughs> shut up, Laia. Why <laughs> you like, like, oh, really, man? No, I swear to God, like, every time post 93, when I'm saying, fuck you talking about, I'm literally just echoing <laughs> back to fuck you talking about. Yo, chill. That is, that is my favorite cursing on record Yo, ever, ever. But you were, were you not um, so my- involved on the Jazzy J record at all? The the compilation no, that he not did. Not a Jazzy J. No, no, no. I was I was from Diamond okay. D on, but I knew Jazzy J. I did my whole first album in Jazzy J studio. But I'm not. That I think the compilation was okay. before okay. me. So when when did the official like the the uniting of digging in the crates first occur? Like was it then in '92 or? I think I always digging in the crates. I'm from the project. So I, I was digging in the crates. There's no way to explain it to you. Like, I grew up with Showbiz, grew up with Diamond D, grew up with Finesse. Hey, I'm rapping. I'm digging in the crates. I was, you know, getting a lot of money in the streets. Mm-hmm. And I was, at first, the fat Spanish guy that stands on stage behind Lord Finesse and Diamond D. <laughs> and, and you're looking like, who the fuck is the D-boy standing behind these motherfuckers iced out with the convertible bends outside? Like, Motherfuckers is like, that must be the big boy from the block. And um, so people knew me from that. But I, I was always digging in the crates. I don't think there was an initial anointing. You know, 
I do remember we was at the Fever in the Bronx when I got asked, could we make OC digging in the crates? And OC was from Brooklyn. Okay. And I was like, hell yeah, man. He had, he had the joint. You lack the minerals and vitamins. I ain't in the size. Time's up. Yeah, I, like he was, I was like, yo, yeah, time's up. I was like, uh, we better make that boy digging in the crates. And, and, and so I remember that. And was Big L around this time period or? Big L was there already. So, so Finesse had met Big L doing the, uh, Big L used to battle everybody on 125th in Harlem, across the street from the Apollo. Every day after school, Big L was just killing dudes. Finesse met him, put him on a remix, the Yes You May remix. So I was at the show the first time Big L ever rapped at a show, and he destroyed that motherfucker. And I was like, oh, shit. They was like, yo, we signing, you know, Big L. I was like, big motherfucking L, D-I-T-C. He was, <laughs> he was incredible. It was, like, it was like a finesse on steroids. It was like, first of all, to me, finesse yeah. was the best uh, punchline lyricist at the time. Mm -hmm. And then he found, like, he, he found the bravo of the Superman, like, Big L. So it was a, a no-brainer. Right. So... As, as far as the environment is now and what you're used to, like when you're doing concerts, I know that it was like night and day with, with, uh, with the 25 year lapse in between. But what were your early, your early shows like promoting on the road and like back in 92, like from 92 to like 95, like what was that like back then in the very well, beginning? Well, you ever of heard of Steve Lobel? You know Steve Lobel, yeah, Steve we Lobel. working. Steve Lobel was our product manager at Relativity. He had Fat Joe and Big Pun and the rest of the Terror Squad in a van driving through the whole America. Because at the time, I was scared to fly. So we drove everywhere to Shaw. We, we drove to Chicago, Cabrini Greens, uh, with Pink House, DJ Pink House. We drove all around this country eating McDonald's and, and we was eating McDonald's and even when Flojo was like Flojo was number one in the country mm -hmm. it went number one and I was still getting like $400 a show $500 a show it wasn't no real money at the time mm -hmm. so it was like a struggle you know to get to the next level but I had left like a fairy tale and this is no bullshit I had left the drug game alone when I signed to start rapping and I refused to go back, even though my friends were still making literally millions of dollars. They was in Bentleys. They was in all that shit. I wouldn't go back. If somebody got robbed in the crew, I wouldn't go back. If anything, I would not go in there because I knew this was my way out. This is the way I had to go. So I took a real pay cut. So I would do stuff like not only, you know, do my shows, but then um, promote parties. So I would, poor KRS, KRS probably came and performed for me 20 times for free in the Bronx. So everybody I ever met, I'd be like, yo, I gave Biggie his first show. Notorious B.I.G., oh, I gave him his first oh, show wow. ever. Yeah, I gave him a G and a bottle of Moet. And he came, and I'm talking about party and bullshit just came out. Oh, okay. So it's like the first wow. show, B.I.G., Fat Joe. And I was just promoting parties, making a couple of grand on the side, then doing my show. You know, it was real. It was a real struggle. Yo, what's up? This is Fonte, Fontigolo from Team Supreme. Black representation in media is very important to me. I think it's important to have our stories told by people who look like us and who have shared in our common experiences. Some of my earliest influences were Donnie Simpson. Uh, I would also say Tom Joyner, Angela Stribling, uh, Sherry Carter. They were just people who told our stories with a lot of class and dignity and were big inspirations to me. The next generation of influential black voices can be found on NPR's new collection, Black Stories, Black Truths. Black Stories, Black Truths is a celebration of blackness from NPR. Each of NPR's black voices are as distinct, varied, and nuanced as the black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and creating world-shifting things out of struggle. Every episode is a living account about what it means to be black today, told from a unique black perspective. From Bobby Schmurder to The Wire, Michelle Obama to Reparations, there's no limit to the range of Black Stories, Black Truths. 
Black perspectives haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story. Now, they are the story. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the Black experience. Hear a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcast, The Center Black Voices. It's NPR Noir. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR, wherever you get podcasts. All right, y'all. You know what season it is. Tis the season for spring breaking and planning our summer travel. And if you're like me, you're already in your Airbnb app trying to find which spot is right for you. Now, listen, while I'm looking to spend all this money, what I'm not doing is thinking about making money with Airbnb. See, you got to change your mind state. Make the money while you're spending the money. How, you say, Laia, do I make the money? Well, you host at your house. And I know what you're thinking. I mean, my whole house? Uh, well, no, you don't have to do your whole house. I mean, you could do a room or, you know, do the whole house. So make some money while you're spending some money this summer. I'm trying to tell you, your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Yo, I remember an episode of Yom TV Raps where you had um, like your own clothing joint or like you were like one of the first dudes to have your your venture in hip hop. I think fashion. I was, what was the it called? FJ five sixty. FJ five. FJ five sixty. How'd you know FJ five sixty. I think you know everything. I remember this. <laughs> he had the jacket. So what happened? <laughs> what happened was, uh, and I'm gonna tell you some real shit I never said before, but uh, it was probably the first or the second. I don't know if Wu Tang had their their brand first. It was it, one of the other. Now you were first. But I remember we was making these. So we were making these coats and these snorkels, uh, the leather jackets, almost like the Averixes. And um, and I remember going to a party and Puffy and Jay-Z walking into the bathroom. I was in the bathroom with FJ560 snorkels on. And I was like, <laughs> Oh shit, they was like, yeah, we rocking your shit. And I'm like, all right, cool, yo. But the business partners that I had, mm-hmm. they were really, really cheap. They didn't want to really mass produce. They didn't really, really uh want to market and promote. And we lost our shot. We could have made hundreds of millions of dollars with that land, with that line. It was ahead of its time. Yeah, I wanted to visit that. Like, y'all, I remember you and Freddie were like live at that store and like, yo. I want to go over there and see that joint. Like, I always wanted to see it and never knew what happened to it. Um, hey, Joe. Okay. I was just going to ask. I was just, just kind of curious since you were talking about you signed your deal in the middle of the street. You were new to the <laughs> industry. You didn't know anything. Mm-hmm. Some of those hard lessons that you had to learn on your way. Because now you are you are the businessman. You know this business in and out. But before, what were like a couple of them hard lessons that you had to learn? Well, I really, I really ain't gonna lie to you. I did not get jerked by Chris Lighty in the middle of the street. So I was lucky. Was not, okay, good, good. Okay. No, no, I was lucky. He did not jerk me. He was fair with me. Uh, forever relativity was good to me. Um, uh, but I did get jerked for my publishing. So I had signed a deal with uh, this guy. His name is Jellybean Benitez. Legendary producer. Yeah, yeah. So he was signing, he was doing music for for Madonna and all that. So he hit yeah, me with the Madonna yo, he, shit. He hit me. He hit me with the yo. We both Latino. This this bullshit. And then I met him in 1992. I signed his publishing. He gave me fifty thousand dollars when I signed. He been robbing me for that publishing ever since, and I still ain't seen him in like twenty five years. And, uh, you know, and so we've been trying to get some type of royalty accounting or whatever. I didn't have my publishing back till around lean back. But anything before there, what's now, anything I did, the man robbed me for my publishing. Real talk. Oh, shit. Damn, Benita. That's his line. Damn. Yeah, yeah. Damn. 
Donald Passman book, everybody. Donald Passman. My good old Latino. My good old Latino brother. <laughs> Wait, hold on, Joe. Joe, can you talk to like, can you talk to where like Latino music and hip hop were meeting at that time? I mean, behind you is a giant picture of Hector Lavo. Who's yeah, like, we can't <laughs> ignore that. The, 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 the king of salsa. What's your name who asked that question? I'm Bill Sherman. Yo, Bill, let me tell you something, Bill. Hip hop is Please. black and Latino music from day one. Sure. So if you go to the very inception of hip hop music, the very first black party jam, you will see the Latinos in there and the blacks in there. And they break dancing and they write in graffiti. Latinos is break dancing and writing graffiti. So the black guys is mostly DJing and MCing. And that's the real focal point on it. But if you go to day one and you look in the archives of hip hop, it's always been black and Latino music. Was it like that though? Sure, Were you like, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry, Bill. But for you, like in the house, like was it like was there Latin records? Well, me in one personally, corner, I grew up records the other corner. I grew yeah. up black. So, like, I'm a black Latino. No, nah, it's real. It's a, a no. You got to break that. That's real. Nah, but you have to nah, break I that down because everybody yeah. in the world don't understand what that means. I grew up black. So, like, uh, where I where I grew up was 99.9 percent black. And Fat Joe had the hairs like the Beatles with green eyes and thought he was black. Wow. And because there wasn't no real Latino. So all my girlfriends growing up was black, me, black. If you look at the class pictures, it's me and 30 black people. Like, uh, who did they, I think they said, uh, the killing of Malcolm X, uh, who killed Malcolm X? They showed his class picture at one point. He was the only black guy It was nothing but white people in the whole picture when he was growing up. Right. <laughs> and that was Fat Joe. <laughs> and that was Fat Joe. So Wait, you said like the Beatles, until, you mean mop head or hippie era? Yeah, like this. Look, I put up a picture maybe like two weeks ago. I found one um, with my hair like the Beatles, bro. Like the fucking Beatles. Like mop the Beatles. head, damn. The mushroom. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And, and so what happened was nobody told me, yo, you not black. I don't know how to explain it to y'all. So even though my, my father's Cuban, and my mother's Puerto Rican. You know, my mother speaks English fluently, everything. You know, she grew up on all the Gladys Knight, all the Aretha Franklin's, you know, my house every day. We, we, we didn't play salsa. We played, I will survive. Right. Oh, oh, no. <laughs> Walk out the door. Like, that's the shit we was playing. <laughs> and, um, and it wasn't until I went to high school, um, and there was no social media, it wasn't even a rap video at that time. Right. So when I, when, when, when I went to high school, I met a friend of mine, and his name was Charlie. He lived on the other side of the Bronx. And when he took me to his hood, I never knew there was so much Puerto Ricans in the Bronx. And this is like 15 minutes Word? away. So just like me, I met the one black guy. Yeah, then I met the one black guy who thought Puerto he Rican. was Puerto Rican. <laughs> In that neighborhood. Right. So when I went there and I started going to Charlie's house, that's when his mother was like, yo, you're not black. And she starts playing me Hector Lavo, Gran Combo, uh, uh Grupo Nietzsche, all the salsa, <laughs> you know, all the legends, and I'm like, oh shit. So that's when I got put on to Spanish music and more so Spanish pride started finding myself and my culture. Every window I looked at had Puerto wow. Rican flags. I'm talking about 14 flights. Every window had Puerto Rican flags. And they was bumping that salsa shit out the window. They was like this. So that's when I started to learn about Hector Lavoe and salsa music and then Latino heritage. And then from there, I just wanted to learn more and more and more and more. And uh, and, and that's where we at. Oh, Yo, not to fast forward, but just I gotta tell you, based off of that, that's why it was so good to see that episode of She's Gotta Have It when y'all went back to Puerto Rico and really just broke down the connection of like the African diaspora to Puerto Rico and how we are are all black and how they, you know, it was just 
it was perfection. That must have felt real good Benny to do that. Yeah, I was gonna say. Yeah. Win. Winnie wins. <laughs> Yo, you know he's winning, winning out. Wow. Like a motherfucker. Wait, all right, Don't now, all right. We no killed that role, man. You bodied that role. All right, we got to skip. What the fuck? How shot, did man? you? Who you channeling with with your voice with Benny went like that was my favorite character from that show. All right, thank God. But listen, let me tell you. Uh, now I meet a lot of people. I met Chad Bosworth, a bunch of actors that say, "Yo, man, you killed that shit." You did. I was like, "Cause you know, I went, up, went you hard. Did. I know. Y'all yeah. went hard though. So, you showed your heart. Um, like it was just that character. I'm gonna I'm tell you the truth, y'all. Um. That was like the 14th member of Wu-Tang. So mm. but they said, they said this, guy's got, this guy got money, got his own strip club, but he's stuck in the past. He still wear Tim's and baggy pants and hoodies and right. sniffs a little coat. And, they, and, and then I was like, oh, shit. That's like the long lost member of Wu-Tang. And, and that's who I modeled when he <laughs> went after. I came up with that whole character. Like if you know he was a member of Whoop Dance, so he'd be like, "Yo, Shelby's winning, win." I know who the fuck is in there, and, and you know, <laughs> and that's how I feel when a lot of times when I get around the Wu Tang, because they all got money, but they be like still dressing stuck. like it's still nine three, nine four. Yo, <laughs> straight up, Pelly Pelly jackets, yo. <laughs> Pelly Pelly hoodies, Tim's. I'm like, yo, like these niggas ain't get the memo. Like it's like. You know, but that's <laughs> that's a winning win is based off of. Do you find do you find that often, uh, especially coming from where you came from, and your need to evolve as a person and as an artist, like outgrowing your teen life and your early adult life into where you are now? Was it was it hard making that transition? Like, was it hard Not really. throwing I all think, those Timberlands away? I think I'm... Huh? No, no, no. I still got Tim. You still got your, your pink Tim? I still got Tim. You still got your pink Tim? <laughs> I still got Tim. Okay. No, I got Tim. Pink ones, though? Dude, pink he was an early, he was uh, an early adapter. One. No, I remember. He was early. And maybe well, some baby know, um, First of all, the first transition was... I had to go. I'm writing a book of my life now. When, when it comes out, y'all read it and y'all get a bigger understanding, right? Yeah. But first of all, when I came in the game, I think the biggest transition I had to do was uh, leave the streets behind. So when I came in the game, a lot of people were scared of me hearing my reputation in the streets. So they almost thought like I was going to be the New York Suge Knight, like extort my way or whatever. So I had to win people's trust and never feel like I'm some bully or I'm, that was the first transition I had to make. So I actually was sitting back looking at everybody else act the fool when I knew I could squash everybody, but you know, try to be a nice guy so these people won't think I'm an animal, right? Mm -hmm. And then we still had that conception of keep it real, keep it real, keep it real. So Fat Joe always had to keep it real, keep it real. Even though I had records like What's Love, when you saw me, I was walking in with 30 street dudes, entourage, ice grilling. You know, so you was like, yo, we had that. that I think that was the biggest transition I had to make. And I made it maybe in the last five years of my life where I said, you know, fuck, keep it real. Keep it real is making sure my people are fed, my family's good, and let me try to elevate and grow and, and be this guy you see now where, damn, this guy's a nice guy. Like, we just never knew. And at the time, too, like, I don't want, like, me and, me and Biggie was really tight. Me and Notorious V.I.G. Biggie was really tight. Mm -hmm. I don't have bitches with Biggie because at the time it wasn't cool. You felt like you was a sucker to ask somebody, yo, let's take a picture. Right? So I missed out on all that. Right? So, and at that time, even if you liked each other, everybody was ice grilling each other. Yeah. Right? So I, mean. I had to learn how to smile. Right. I had to learn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had to learn how to smile and be like, all right, yo, let it down. Like, grow. You're getting older. Chill. And uh, that was the biggest transition I had to make from keeping it real. And I lost a lot of money keeping it real uh, because. People really didn't, what I didn't understand is people, they want to be affiliated with 
gangsters. Like, you know what I mean? And Joe, let alone we heard rumors he's a gangster, he's coming with 30 gangsters. And, and, and you know, and we can't invite Joe. We really want Joe to come to the Hamptons, but we know that guy's coming with 30 street guys and somebody might get robbed in the bathroom in the all-white party. So don't invite Joe. <laughs> I, man, oh. man, one question I always wanted to ask you. No, go ahead. Were you about to ask about who shot you? Oh. All oh, right, go well, ahead. we can get there. I, before we get to who shot you. <laughs> man, so one question I always wanted to ask you just as an MC, Joe. So your trajectory, your progression from represent the Jealous One's Envy was, like, phenomenal. What did you do in terms of stepping your game? I'm going to tell you what happens. In, in, from, that, from that first album to the second album. I'm going to tell you what happens. Right. So I came uh, I came out at a time where um, Flojo went number one in the country. But if you really listen to Flojo, I'm going bust it, check it, watch how I wreck it. Niggas watch your back. Wreck it, yeah. Shit is getting hectic. Is I catch hectic. vibes <laughs> like Count Basie. I said, right. So it's like it's like, it was ABCBEVFG. It really wasn't lyrical. Mm -hmm. It wasn't nothing. And so you love the song. You love the fact that I was certified by the digging in the crates room. You love my history. When you, when, you, when you called up your cousins in New York, it was like, no, no, no. Them boys is laying it down. Like, they, they the truth. So you was intrigued. <laughs> you was intrigued. It, it's similar to, like, Young Jeezy with BMF. When he came out, we was like, yeah. oh, he's part of it. So it was all that, but I really wasn't dope. So there's a guy who came out. His name was Nas. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember sitting in the car. Showbiz came to get me. He had the Beamer. He was like, yo, Joe, get in the car. Come down. So I got in the car, and when he pressed play, and that boy was like, Sneak a Uzi on the island in my army, acting lying in there, and I went and comment in the base. Half man, half amazing. But it, when I'm, I was like, it was the most incredible shit I ever heard in my life. But at the same time, it was almost like a morgue or a cemetery for MCs like Fat Joe. It was like, if you do not step your shit up, it is over. It's Low Joe, one and done. <laughs> so well, I don't think MCs do that anymore, y'all. Straight up. They don't Straight do that up. no more. No, they, like, don't. When... No, they don't. So he, he pushed the game. He elevated the game to a point of where you couldn't get away with busted checking. So I had to study mm -hmm. him. I studied him. I might have listened to that tape. If I say 20 million times, it's not, it's not enough. And, I, and then Reasonable Doubt came out and all that. So everybody was like, so when Reasonable Doubt came out, I could relate to that more because he was talking that drug dealer life and, and where I came from. Mm. And I said, oh, shit, we could do that? Like, we could talk that drug. Mm. So then when I came, hustling is the key to success. Money is Money the key, is the key yes. to sex. Is the the key life is getting sex. mad, getting yeah. dough, getting wet. The game people play. The name, what's for the cast, two, Cerebi, Blood, Sad, Streets, so all that. Yeah, so then I was like, oh, shit, I could be me. Like, I can, I can really save mm. my life. All right, y'all. You know what season it is. Tis the season for spring breaking and planning our summer travel. And if you're like me, you're already in your Airbnb app trying to find which spot is right for you. Now, listen, while I'm looking to spend all this money, what I'm not doing is thinking about making money with Airbnb. See, you got to change your mind state. Make the money while you're spending the money. How, you say, Laia, do I make the money? Well, you host at your house. And I know what you're thinking. I mean, my whole house? Uh, well, no, you don't have to do your whole house. I mean, you could do a room or, you know, do the whole house. So make some money while you're spending some money this summer. I'm trying to tell you, your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. 
Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? Step up like a boss and save the day? Or see what life's like under the tree of life? Did you? If you could. Would you? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play. Bring the magic at Walt Disney World Resort. So let me ask, all right, since you mentioned him, because I feel like one of your most underrated bangers. The Incredible? was No, was John Blaze. Oh, yeah, John Blaze, yeah, yeah. Yo, I mean, when Cosmic, Cosmic Kev played that in Philly, man. He he rarely is one of those I'll play something three times in a row like the way that Funkmaster Flex does. Like mm-hmm. I gotta play it over. But yeah. the day that John Blaze came out with you and Nas was like that 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 was a moment. So I mean, how did you feel at that moment when when that when that was actually even before I asked well, that? Well, I was at let, let me let me go back. Cause I feel like your your moment of really stepping it up for me was who shot you? I'm sorry, I shot you. I shot you. I yes, shot you. Yeah, how I shot you. Did that, how did that yeah. even come to be? Because for me, like the way you ended that you know, line. Who the fuck you think you're talking to? Yo, we cry. AKA Kaiser Sosa. <laughs> right. Kaiser Sosa. Like that. I felt like that was your domino slam moment. Domino, motherfucker. <laughs> so, what, what, how did how did that story so, how how did that come to be? First of all, LL Cool J is my idol, and uh, mm-hmm. I've never backed down. I've never backed down for competition. I've never backed down to this day. And you can be the greatest rapper on the earth, and I'm gonna go toe to toe with him. I've never been scared. It actually elevates me. Like you ever see like. Golden State, when they were the best team in the world, they'll play the wackest team and then they'll play whack like them. Mm-hmm. But when they when there's a exactly. big game, they'll shoot it shots. Brings a game down. Yeah, it brings me up. When, when the, the, if I get on a song with Jay-Z or Nas or whoever, I'm going. Like, I'm going on, on another level. I, I couldn't wait for this moment. So I'm working on my second album. The Track Masters come in the uh, studio. We, we had a st- in New York Battery Studio, something. And they come in and, and they was like, yo, Joe, what's up? And they was like, what you work? I said, my album. I played them a couple of joints off my album. I was like, yo, we need to ask LL. And that's when I came in with that. Now, who the fuck you think you talking to? Right. I pay dues. I spray crews. Look at Joey Crack. Motherfuckers be like these bad news running this racket. From New York to Montego, Slaughter and Bebo. Bring it to the keys of Puerto Rico. Nah, nah. That was my moment. Was it all done? Like, were you all the next level? Were you all doing it at the same time, or was it just piecemeal? Like, was Foxy there? Was no John John Blaze? No, no, no. John Blaze, I did with everybody, but but uh, uh, that no, they just gave me the beat, and I just went for mine. You know, that's it. Because that's that's the risky thing about doing posse cuts. Because I know oftentimes, and I watch this a lot with Tariq, whenever people ask him, you know, to do stuff or whatever. Recently, uh, Tariq's on a joint with Eminem. And I mean, on on Eminem's records, like a posse cut. And Tariq was kind of salty because he had his joint first. He had his joint (laughs) first. It was like, ah, man, I don't want to be the first guy to submit the verse. Cause then they'll, you know, no one wants to be the first guy. So I always wanted to know how are posse cuts organized? Like, do you hear everyone else's shit or do you- I don't do that. Me neither. I'm Same not here. going, I'm not going to lie to you, Quest, man. Fat Joe so underrated is, I don't know how to explain it to you, man. I don't I'm listen to nobody's you. shit. I don't listen to nobody's shit. I go in there and I tell them, play the music. And when they play the music, I write the shit right in their face with my own flow. And I go in there, yo, what's the hook? Boom, I need the beat, I need the hook. The hook is this, all right, so now I know where we going with it. 
boom, and I'm going to just go crazy. I never changed my verse. I never, uh, like, I don't know, you know, I'm, I'm just not on it like that. I just, you know me, I fight for my life every time. So every time I write, I write like it's the last song I'm going to ever do in my life. Like, I might die today. And that's just my strategy. That's always been my strategy. So that means I give it uh, 2,000% every time I rap. So I'm never worried like yeah. that. But nah, I'm treat, not like that. But you got to treat every verse. I was saying you got to treat every verse like it's the first time somebody might be hearing you. You know what I'm saying? And that, that's kind of been my lesson just as moving along. When we did and you know every time you, on the track whoever. And you also got to know that anytime a young artist asks you to get on it, you know they want to give you a can of whoop ass. So you really <laughs> got to pay attention and spit that shit. Because you know that's how it is. It's just like boxing. Motherfucker take the boxing the great. Motherfucker Mike Tyson was killing niggas in 12 seconds. But when he was already 30-some years old looking for that check, they was using him right. to beat mm-hmm. him up and look like they somebody ill. You know, and that's pretty much what a young dude would do. If, if a hot young dude says, Crack, let's get on the record. Like, I, I did two songs with the Griselda boys. I went crazy. It's, it's, mm-hmm. I'm not going to let them rip me down. I'm just not. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm a, you okay. know, I'm going to go for my crazy. I mean, the only person I let my guard down with, and she don't like me to say this, is Remy. Remy, yeah. She's the only person on earth wow. I don't feel competition with. She's the only person. I don't care if she beats me. You know, I rap, rap, and let her. I want her to always shine no matter what. You know, that's I was just, about to say, why Remy? Why is it what is it about Remy? Because you didn't rhyme with other brothers, other sisters, but what nah, is it about Remy? Nah, she nah, it's just she's my sister for real. Like sister. you know what I mean? So I want her to I want her to sound great anyway. I'm not talking about I'm taking it easy on Remy. I'm not saying I'm no. spitting my best shit. But I don't get mad if Remy beats me on the if she's we did that remix with Jay-Z, she went ain't shit, bro. Right. Like bananas. I was happy. Yo, Joe, can you just tell us the first time you heard Remy? Like, what was it? When did she stop you in your tracks? Unreal. Uh, A pun said, uh, y'all, I want you to meet somebody. And um, and he brought her to the studio. She came in. I never forget. She was so skinny. She had the, the, the leather vest. And, uh, and we played a beat, and she rapped for like ten minutes straight. The air, the, the air bubbles in your sneakers. I'm troubled. My, I'm Raye's my brother. This, and I was so amazed, but I was jealous and I was mad because I was like, "Damn, pun discovered her. She gonna be pun artist. Like I wish she was my artist. <laughs> right. So I was mad. I stood quiet. Pun conceded. I was mad. She tells me the story. She says, "Yo, bro, you ice grilled me for like ten minutes." I was really mad. I was in there like, yo, shit, I wish I discovered her. Why she ain't come up to me? And then um, when we walked out the studio, Pun hugs me and says, I know, Twin, don't worry. She's going to be your artist. Don't worry. She's your artist. How did, how like, did you meet right, Pun? Yo, she... How did you yeah. meet Pun? Um, I went to a bodega right uh, in my projects that I always used to go to. And uh, they was just out there. It was him and like three other guys freestyling. So I came out with a Diet Pepsi. I had my Diet Pepsi. And I looked at him and I, um, and I was like, yo, what is this fatter Spanish dude going to spit about? Like, I just, <laughs> I was just like, what the fuck is this nigga going to talk about? Right. And, um, and so I walked up and he said, chill, y'all, chill, chill, chill. He was obviously the leader. And um, so he starts rapping, and he's like, stop, like, ah! like he stopped the car, said, pull the moon out the sky and blow the sun away. Me and my niggas playing hardcore lyrics till I'm feeling breaking God door, my father door, but I gotta do it. So I, I was like, ha! <laughs> I could not take it. I ran to the passenger side. I had a white Lexus, uh, LS400, and I opened the door. I said, please, get inside. 
please. <laughs> we locked the door, and um, and th- that was just it was just uh, it was just beautiful because I'm I'm the youngest brother, I'm the youngest kid in my family, but uh, I never had a little brother, and Pawn never had a big brother. Mm-hmm. I realized Pawn was like, "Yo, you're gonna be my big brother." You're gonna be my big brother. I'm gonna be your brother. And you know, you gotta have my back. And I said, I got your back. And then he started telling me about his life. Real, real personal, deep shit. You know, Pum was homeless growing up. You know, nobody gave a fuck about him. And he told me all that. Just just ripped it up. And and me coming from the streets before I even rap, the rap shit is even faker. But coming from the streets. Uh, where I see men that, you know, killers and murderers and all type of people. I had never met a person who could just open up himself and his pain first time I met him and there. And I was just like, nah, I love this dude, man. I fuck with him on another level. And, um, and, and that's how I met Punt. Wow. You know, um, Bill, uh, unpaid Bill here and I are a part of uh, the team uh, that uh, worked on Hamilton. And I know that, you know, anytime Lynn manuel does an interview about who his lyrical inspiration was to put Hamilton together, he won't hesitate to say, like, how important big puns lyrical style was just on his life and just you know culturally and all those things like oh for sure you know mm-hmm. i i almost wonder like what hamilton would just be a regular broadway show if it weren't to this, for big puns. to this day <laughs> to this day dead you know in the middle saying? of little italy blah, 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 is one of his favorite yeah yeah because internal rhyme was always is always his thing and everything, and so that always we used to listen to that a lot. That record was on auto auto spin at our house. That that was that was his hero. Like he will. He. I mean, you know, big pun. Little did we know that we read to middleman who didn't do diddly. Yeah. Yeah, man. You know, uh, you know, dead in the middle, little literally, almost wasn't dead in the middle, of little literally. So like. Pun was so advanced that it, it was a joke to him. Dead in the middle of Little Italy was actually a joke, he would say. Like, he would have, he put it on the album too, packing the Mac in the back of the act, packing the, the, the back of the I want to ask you about that. What? Because to me, that is my favorite, that is one of my favorite skits on a hip hop record. Only because I know, I know that he was reenacting the, the Scarface scene where he lets the one guy go and the one guy's like, oh, thanks, fun, I appreciate it. And he runs off. Like, but literally, what, what, was the, what was the deal with packing the Mac in the back of the act? For one, now that we floating in this era, we were unconscious. We was like, we, we, we was numb. We were crazy, man. We was just fucking crazy. I don't know how to explain it to you. And stuff that you can, if you think about regular people, I thought, you know, when I grew up, uh, I grew up seeing death. Uh, Maybe I had 40 guys I grew up with, 38 of them got killed. Real shit. Before they 20 years old, 21. So, and when I meet regular people who didn't have friends dying at 16, (laughs) I'm like, then I start saying like, damn. Some of the shit we done said in music, like motherfuckers, like with a normal life, is like, yo, what the fuck is wrong with them? Because he's saying packing the Mac in the back of the act. It's all about machine gun. Right. Packing the Mac in the back of the act, yeah. packing the back. And uh, so that was the joke. And then in the middle of Little Italy was the other joke. Then in the middle of Little Italy. So when we did the song together, I said, yo, you got to put that dead. In- I swear to God on everything. You got to put that dead in the middle. He was like, yo, that shit whack. Nigga, that shit is a joke. That shit. I said, pun. That shit will blow their minds off. He was like, no, I'm telling you. That shit regular. That shit. That's yeah, a regular. joke. And, they, and, and I gassed him to put it in that motherfucker. And man, you know, he was, he was, uh, you know, this guy's, 
born. This guy's born. Jay-Z was born. Nas was born. Eminem was born. Big Pun was born. Uh, uh, I'm trying to think of others. I guess Rakim was born. They, there is no other job description for these people. Mm-hmm. Like they were born to do that. Like, there's just no... That is the DNA. Their birth was on that. Pun would fall asleep. Wake up and be like, give me the book, twin. Give me the book. That's crazy because I, I got paper and pen right here. He said, he goes, wow. give me the book, pen. give me the book, twin. Give me the book, twin. And I give him the book. He write a whole song down. He, he thought about it in his dreams and write the whole song down. It's crazy, man. It was a, the guy was a, a genius. There's just no way around it. And his breath control was kind of like crazy. I don't understand how he did all that and then still the breath control. Right. Big guy. Yeah. And, but still rhymed faster than most, you know. He would do it on stage. You know, Pun was different. Like, you know, uh, you know how you see uh, boxes? It's crazy. I keep referring back to boxing, but you know how you see boxes that's so nice that nobody wants to fight them? So they can't really get a real fight because you know you'll get knocked out. Pun would invite mm-hmm. every rapper to the studio to do a song with him and no one would show up. Mm-hmm. Wow. So wow. we would drive around, me and Pun, and he would see like a cypher of up-and-coming rappers battling each other, and he would get out the car, double platinum rich, and battle the whole cypher. Like, wow. you know, nobody wanted smoke with Pun. I don't know how to explain it to you. In no way, shape, or form, did anybody want to smoke with this guy? They could say whatever, right. forget him, whatever you want. But nobody, when he was alive, people were going, don't let him on. Don't <laughs> let him on. <laughs> Four Master Flex used to have these ciphers. And every week, he would bring rappers up there. So one week, is Nori up there, Cameron, uh, Nori, Cameron, I think DMX is somebody else, right? And Pun hears it and starts racing down from the Bronx to Hot 97. So Pun is calling this, the hotline. Pun calls Flex Fix Up. He's like, yo, 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 you got to let me up there. You got to let me up there. You got to let me up there. So Flex said, there's a true story. Flex said he looked at everybody up there and was like, yo, Pun is on his way. He said they was like, no, like, <laughs> no, like, don't let that. Don't let him on this motherfucker, please. <laughs> so then, Pun arrives to Hot 97. He's calling Flex a million times. Flex don't pick up the phone. They freestyling up there. So Pun calls me, yo, twin, this nigga Flex won't let me up there, this, this, that. So then later on, I got with, uh, with, 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 with Flex and I asked him the truth. I was like, yo, Flex, why you ain't let Pun up there? He said, yo, they were scared to death. They didn't want to let Pun up there on that cypher. They didn't want him up there. And we talking about big guys, Cameron, DMX, yeah. Nori. At their prime, they was like, hell no. Don't let that boy up here. He's going to come up in there. But that, 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 It is. All right, I got to go. Love y'all, man. Can I'll we, talk to y'all. Can we do a part two to this so we can oh, take it official? part two, whatever you want, man. I'm here. Yo, for sure. Peace, Joe. All right, part two coming. All right, thank you. Course Love Supreme is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Delve into the visceral world of hip-hop with the Gangster Chronicles, hosted by MC8 and Big Steel. It's every Thursday, a podcast that aims to unravel the intricate tapestry of one of music's most influential and misunderstood subgenres, gangster rap. Let's go. Gangster Chronicles unpacks the evolution of this uniquely American art form, offering listeners a comprehensive understanding of the significance this genre holds. Listen to the Gangster Chronicles on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts.